0: Join us for part two of our 10-day trip to Morocco with our guest Megan Lohr from Wonderless Travel.
1: Hello and welcome to TripCast360, the podcast of a lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment. I am your co-host Michael Gordon-Bennett and joined as always by David Cumberbatch. This is part two of our podcast about Morocco. If you missed part one, please go to our website, tripcast360.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: I find FES to be a very interesting city. It's the oldest city in uh, Morocco, uh, has the oldest continuous Iran university in the world, actually founded yes. by women. Absolutely. Uh, life is still as it was centuries ago. Uh, it happens to be one of the four imperial cities, but many visitors uh, stay in Riyadh as opposed to hotels. a very, very interesting city.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Fez is almost two cities. There's the old city and the new city, and they actually just call them that, you know, the old and the new and, you know, you drive in and you're going through the new city and everything is modern and, you know, there's the mall and there's the McDonald's with playground and <laughs> all of that. And then you get to the, um, the old city and it is like stepping into another world. Wow. So people who lived there, especially in kind of the heart of the Medina you know, they live there, they work there, their children go to school there, they do all their shopping there. It is a community unto itself. And it's very important, I think, to have a guide there, because one, you can get very, very lost. <laughs> it has it, something like the largest, uh, uh, n- the largest city or Medina with Foot traffic only streets, so motorized vehicles are not allowed in there. So, even like they're doing some construction, great the donkey carries everything in. (laughs) So, um, always watch out for the donkeys. Um, and it is very complex. There are different sections you know, here's the food section, here's the dyer section, here's the weavers. Here's the leather section. Here's, you know, where you can buy shoes. And it's very communal in that people aren't there just always in competition with each other because it's like, Oh, I don't have this exact shade of thread you need, but the guy two doors down does instead of, you know, here, they would try to convince you that you just actually need a different shade. <laughs> wow. So, and they, they, make everything there. It is also known as the handicraft capital of Morocco. So you'll find the woodworkers, The I mentioned the tanneries, which are very famous. They go back uh, nearly a thousand years. The same dye pits are still in use. They still process the leathers by hand. And it's mm. not just cow leather, it's goat leather, sheep leather, and camel leather, mm. which interestingly enough is the lightest weight um, I wouldn't expect I wouldn't camel either. to be so no. lightweight, but it is super light. <laughs> very oh. strange. Um and very smelly as well though. So definitely <laughs> we always visit that one or lunch, never after lunch.
1: <laughs> I mean just just so, like the camel's breath, smelly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> just be careful. Um and, you know, the guide will take you through everything. And he knows this place inside now because his family has lived there for generations. And so he knows pretty much everybody. <laughs> and, you know, will explain things like, oh, you see that little tiny hole up there? in this little balcony that, you know, overlooks, do you know what that's for? And do you know why this is that? And, you know, he'll explain all of these things because one of the big things in Morocco is that uh, on in the medinas um, and pretty much everywhere except for in the like royal palaces, you know the wealth and should not be shown off on the outside. You know you don't huh? sit there and advertise. You know oh hey I have all this money. So everything looks the same. It's these drab brown buildings, and it's not until mm-hmm. you step inside that either it is you know simple or very ornate. And so, it's it's very interesting in that way because they're they don't want people to be in competition or jealous of this or that and that's, things like that. So
1: that's a, that's a healthy way to live, actually.
2: It is <laughs> Absolutely.
1: certainly it it really it really is healthy. Uh, I'm assuming, based on what you just said, that Fez is one of those shopping destinations for those who are so inclined to uh, part with their dollars.
2: Absolutely. It is, if you want, you know, handmade goods, that is an excellent place to do it. Um, you know, whether it's leather, silk, so there they make silk out of the agave plant. Um, and the, they weave it, they make the silk itself, dye the thread, weave it there, all of it happens in the Medina. Uh, embroidery is another big thing they have there as I mentioned the woodworking the metalworking very intricate trays and teapots and all of that and um, of course there's a lot of shops that will sell historic things as well everybody loves antiques and (laughs) one of the big things you'll find is Berber antiques and especially because the Berbers, a lot of times, they used to be very nomadic. And when they stopped being nomadic, they didn't necessarily have the same things. Like, they don't need tent spikes anymore or these right. the saddles and everything. And so you'll find a lot of that stuff um, in the bazaars. Those, I will say, if you're doing any shopping in Morocco, never, ever, ever pay the first price. Uh, <laughs> Morocco no. is absolutely a bargaining place you know they and they will try to make you feel bad and be like oh you know you're taking advantage of me no they will never sell you something if they're not making a profit
1: <laughs>
2: so they are excellent salespeople. They know how to make you feel bad <laughs> for trying to haggle them. <laughs>
1: just ignore it. What you just said to me reminds me of a story. I uh, I'm an Air Force vet, and I spent a couple months in Korea back in the '80s. Mm-hmm. And I remember a friend of mine in San Antonio gave me like 20 bucks. He said, "Buy me a baseball glove uh, when you get to Korea, because they were a lot cheaper there." So I walk into this Korean shop and find a baseball glove, and you know how the gloves usually has the signature of the player either woven in in the pad or on the uh, um, side on the nail, and it said Johnny Unitas, and I'm sitting there laughing because Johnny Unitas played football, not baseball. So I knew right away it was counterfeit, and uh, <laughs> and needless to say, I got that price down from twenty dollars to two. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So yeah. Um, on on the shopping front, before we move on. Um, what is the item two things? What is the top items that you see that most tourists buy? And does Morocco for those items that are really too big to put in a luggage do they ship for you or ha- have you noticed any mm-hmm. of that?
2: Absolutely. So, I would say two of the most popular items are leather goods and rugs. So, I Personally, I don't understand the obsession with Moroccan rugs. (laughs) Yes, they're pretty, but why is that such a thing? (laughs) The leather I get, because great, you see where it's being hand-done, but whatever. People love Moroccan rugs, um, and they are absolutely beautiful, and a lot of them are woven by Berber women, Um, and so there's different styles, and they usually reflect the different tribes they come from, um, and absolutely beautiful pieces of art and absolutely they will ship so the any basically any large item they will ship for you uh most of it i think actually all of it does go through dhl and the pottery co-op is another uh place where usually people will buy something um in morocco you know, pottery is very big. Everything is, you have the tagines and the dishes and everything. But Fez pottery is a little bit different. This is with a white clay. I don't know if you can really tell, but you know, it's not a red clay and it's very lightweight um, and it is naturally more uh, heat resistant. So like a typical mug made out of the, the red clay, you shouldn't microwave, but these can be a microwave. Okay. Uh, okay. things like that. So they, it's a wonderful place. We definitely encourage people. If you see something, get it there. Cause you're not going to find it anywhere else. All right. <laughs> um, and the lighter weight is a wonderful selling point. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you're wanting something larger, they will absolutely ship it. And they, the co-op that we go to, they ship it in a metal mesh crate. <laughs> like okay. you need a crowbar to get into that thing, but mm. nothing ever broken. Nice. Uh, so cool. yeah, once again, they they won't let packing issues stop them from making a sale.
1: <laughs> nice, that's nice. right. Nice. Next, it's time to head off to the Sahara. Yes. But you told me a story yesterday during our pre-interview about some wild monkeys. Yes.
2: <laughs> so. To get to the Sahara, you got to take the drive. Um, there are two flights a week that are highly inconvenient and it's just not worth it. Cause then you still have like a two hour drive into the desert and just no stick with the drive, visit the monkeys, enjoy the scenery. And the monkeys are in the cedar forest outside of Azero. They, they are, I always forget the name of them. They're, they're small. They are not, you know, big aggressive monkeys and they're very polite. You know, a lot of times you hear about like, oh, watch out for monkeys. They're dangerous. They're going to try to grab whatever and attack. And No, <laughs> they, because everybody driving through stops and feeds the monkeys, they will, there's of course people there who sell like fruit and nuts and whatever for people to then feed feed to the monkeys. I have never seen them try to sneak stuff from those carts because they know that they're going to just get fed anyway. So why do something where they're going to get chased off? And they sometimes like they eat so much that you try to hand them a peanut and they're like, no, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) They are (laughs) very spoiled. As such, of course, they're wild animals. That is not actually good for them. And so one time we were passing through and there was with these students from one of the universities there to you know kind of study that and also try to share information tell people hey you really shouldn't feed them they're wild animals they need to learn to fend for themselves all that stuff that we know but we often ignore anyway because they're so cute Um, and so this woman is talking to me I forget if it was French or Arabic but I'm like I don't I don't understand. And I kind of get that she's trying to tell me I shouldn't feed the monkeys, but I'm like, I don't, I don't know what else you want from me. I had a bag of peanuts in one hand and like my phone and wallet in the other. And while she's trying to talk to me, this monkey that had been waiting for me to hand him something decided he was tired of it. He reaches up, grabs the bag of peanuts, takes off across the road and is just sitting up on a wall eating. Them.
3: <laughs>
2: and then she's trying to scold me for like him having food and I'm like, <laughs> you're sitting there telling me or distracting me. So they know what's for them and they will only take that. So That's you don't right. have you to worry about the monkeys. They're very <laughs> well mannered.
1: Well, I guess they're better than me.
0: Um... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michael.
1: Um, there is a town, and I hope I pronounced this right, called Zaida. You said something about barbecue yesterday.
2: Yes. Zeta, Zeta.
1: Um, now Dave's a yeah. chef, so he'll appreciate this <laughs> <laughs>
2: so Zeta is one of the common stops where everybody stops for lunch uh, a lot of times um, locals as well like it is primarily locals in a lot of these places uh, because you know people need to get from the south up to the north and so they take a a bus and all of them stop here and it is very, very fresh barbecue Uh, and where, you know, they're grilling it outside and just these waves of the smoke coming off of the meat. And the meat is, this is not for vegetarians or especially vegans. Um, It is so fresh because the sheep carcass or the entire leg of beef is hanging outside there.
0: Mm, No, 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 (laughs) no.
2: So it is super fresh meat. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) One of the best meals, like a lot of people who, even people who are there on more high-end trips and they're going to really fancy restaurants, they have even said that is their favorite meal in Morocco. It is so good. And it is very much um, geared more towards locals. So, you know, you find the, the cat who wanders through and people feed him on the floor. Um, Cats are very common in Morocco, um, any Islamic country, because the cats were special to the Prophet Muhammad. So everybody takes care of them, which means mm. they hang around these places and people just feed them. I have, there's one particular cat there that I've been seeing for the last five years that we've been stopping at that place and I feed her every time. And she knows that when she sees me, she's getting much.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, so it is very simple because it's just like skewers of little beef cubes or ground beef um brochettes and you just eat it with grilled onions and some salt and cumin and bread and it's very simple very delicious and absolutely as long as you are carnivorous you need to stop there
1: (laughs) okay i think i will but dave's not and no.
3: <laughs>
2: if you're in a mixed group, we do call ahead and have them prepare a vegetable tagine for the people who do not eat meat.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, tell us how, I mean, we've talked about barbecue, but we haven't spent a lot of time talking about Moroccan cuisine in general. Um, I, I understand it's fairly unique. So, yeah, let, give us a little mm-hmm. taste of traditional Moroccan cuisine?
2: Yeah, so Moroccans typically eat tagines. Now, what that means is really just stewed food. (laughs) It may be just vegetables. It may be meat and vegetables. It may have different types of spices, um, but it's cooked usually low and slow, and then you eat it with bread. Uh, most meals when you are traveling, you're going to have the first course of the cooked salads. Raw salads are very uncommon, which is not really a problem. You know, <laughs> they have plenty of vegetables, but the raw salads just aren't something that's usually there, which again, so quick diversion about the water. You can drink the water but we never recommend it. We always recommend sticking with bottled water for drinking. Um, you don't need to go so far as to brush your teeth with bottled water, but just don't get too much of it and you'll be fine.
3: Okay.
2: <laughs> so same thing, raw salads, it's going to be washed with that tap water. Cooked, it's going to be fine. Um, so the cooked salads are incredible. It is, You know, there's one that is... Um, Spinach, there's one that's cooked, eggplant, lima beans, cauliflower, carrots, and it's served all in these little individual dishes. And you just eat it with bread. Everything is eaten with bread. And mm-hmm. the bread, of course, as you move to the cities, they have different styles that they usually make. And it is always fresh, always homemade, or you know, it's not like bought from a factory, they always make it on site. Um, or else someone else on site in the village in the town makes it and it is the most delicious thing ever Um, and something that was very interesting one of my sisters has a a flour gluten sensitivity where it's a migraine trigger for her she was able to eat all the bread in Morocco (laughs) so I don't know whatever it is Um, so if you have something other than celiacs you know where it's possibly just something we do to wheat here, maybe give it a try and see.
0: <laughs> so so no rice, no potatoes?
2: There are potatoes, but that would be as a part of the tajib. And oh. it's usually um, served family style. So if you're a traveler, they will give you a plate and a fork. But if you are Moroccan, then...
3: It's Use just one big
2: bladder. Yep, fingers and bread. And rice, sometimes they will do some stuff with it, but not very common at all. Mm. So mostly you're going to find various types of tagines or the barbecue or um, couscous is really more of a Friday thing. So Friday is their uh, holy day. So like here we have Sunday dinner there, it's Friday. Everybody makes couscous.
1: Mm, Okay, before I let Dave take us off into the desert to Rossani, I told you we were gonna circle back to this and now is the time. Tell us about those Moroccan adult beverages further known as wine.
2: Ah, yes. So before you head down the mountains, outside of, right outside of Mecanis is Morocco's largest winery. And it's called La de Mecnus. They actually have two different locations, but the one in Bufkaran where they have the winery that you can tour, um, they have some wonderful wines. And this is not just my opinion. We took a group of chefs there who, of course, know their wine. They actually really enjoyed several of them as well. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> they, they have some good wines. And... The de Mechnis produces over half of the wine produced in the country just from this one winery. And what we'll do is do a tour and a tasting. Um, the tour is a lot of, you know, where they are have the stills or I don't think you call them stills for wine, but the big tanks where it's all fermenting and then down where all the barrels are fermenting and all of that. You don't really see them doing much unless you're there in October when the harvest is coming in and then they're bringing in all the grapes and processing them. Um, But then it's very loud and you always have to watch out because it's always very slippery because the floor is always wet. (laughs) So Mm. we usually follow that the tasting so we try three different kinds and then we go over to their uh, hotel it's fairly new it's just open the last couple of years but they have an incredible chef and they grow almost all of their own produce like as much as possible he only uses things they that- on site, or the fish or game that is from a nearby hunting preserve. So, everything is super fresh, super organic, um, free range, all of that. And it is absolutely delicious. They're fresh. <laughs> then, their chef had trained, um, what was it, in New York and Paris as well. So, he's like very, very highly trained. <laughs> and very creative and so it's also a nice change because you know you have all these tagines and very standard things and suddenly here's this unique take on it because he's blending the Moroccan with other influences
0: yeah Megan I'll tell you Michael wanted me to ask you this question because he knew that I would struggle with the pronunciation here (laughs) but (laughs) but tell me about uh there's another interesting city. Uh, it's is it Oq Oh, forget about it. It's, so it's spelled O Q U A R Z A Z A T E. I find it.
1: Oh, Hollywood!
0: <laughs> I find it interesting because uh. it's known as the Morocco Hollywood. Uh, yep. Ben Hur and I mean Game of Thrones, Jewel of the Nile, some. Um, very popular American movies were were made there.
2: Absolutely. So, Warzazet. Oh, how how uh, do you pronounce how do you pronounce that again? Warzazet.
0: Okay, M- Michael, can you pronounce that?
2: Warzazet.
1: <laughs> okay, Megan, you
3: you war-zazette.
1: go ahead. Warzazet.
0: <laughs> so,
2: there's no cue in there. A lot of people try to put a Q in there, and I don't know why, but there's no Q.
3: Okay. (laughs) Um, So,
2: actually, really quickly before we get to that, because that comes after the desert, we need to get down to the Sahara first. Okay. Okay. Let's go there. Let's go there. there. Uh, (laughs) So, some people stop in Risani, which is about 30 minutes outside of uh, the sand dunes. And, you know, if they want to stay there, it's again another very different location where it's a different way of life. You know, here you have a lot more of the blend with the Berber culture and just of course, growing up in a desert environment is going to be, have a very different effect on the culture. Um, The market is very different um, because it's really the only place people could go buy things. There's no big grocery store or anything like that. So uh, very local oriented um, and so great place to visit, explore something else. If you are there on market day, there's also the livestock auction, which you may or may not want to be there. You know, if it bothers you to
3: <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> pass
2: animals trust up, then maybe skip that. <laughs> um, but there's also a couple other things to see in Reseni would be the Definitely, if you're in the market, sample the dates because there's you know hundreds of varieties of dates, and Rissani is kind of the start of where the date groves are because it kind of goes all the way to around Warsizet. Um, and many different types never knew there were so many types until <laughs> I was down there. Wow, and actually, my husband's family has date farms, uh, he grew up. In Risani, this that was actually where he was born, and the house where he grew up it dates back to the 1700s, and it's fascinating because it's this neighborhood that is all within kind of the same walled, attached building, because of course you're in the desert, very very hot in the summer, and people don't want to go out side and you know be out in the sun and so there's a couple of entrances and just these kind of not underground but under the building I guess (laughs) and tunnels between everything and you know within that there's the well for the water and the stalls for the donkeys and so that everybody's able to be protected from the sun and that's how people can survive that and it's fascinating to visit again if you want to see that different side of life because it is still the mud brick and even like in his old home the kitchen had a mud daubed oven so it's not a modern electric oven it is this you know kind of made in the corner um hollowed uh clay oven and that's where his mom would bake bread every day. And you know, my husband was born in the early 80s and this is still how they do things there. Wow. So, it's mm. a fascinating thing because you look at it like oh, this must be from hundreds of years ago. No, it's it's still today. So, it's a great if you have some time, I highly recommend taking a little bit of time to visit Riss Honey But if you don't have the time, I know you want to get absolutely to the sands of the Sahara. So Merzuka is the town that is actually like in the dunes, um, on on the edge of the sand. And we usually spend the first night in Riyadh because when you're making this trip down from Fez, it is pretty long and you don't want to have to race the sunset. So first night and then the next day, you go out to the desert, you may want to start with um, an ATV excursion or dirt bike or um, uh, dune buggies. It's a lot of fun speeding over the sand dunes.
3: <laughs> and
2: then, of course, you do the SUV excursion where you visit the Ganawa village, uh, which is where the Ganawa music originated from. And so it's a, by that point, you will have heard Ganawa music But it's fascinating to see the roots of that music, how different it is. And you also, the SUV driver, will take you out into the desert, into the sand dunes. And it really kind of feels like a roller coaster when you're going up and down (laughs) the dunes Mm -hmm. and visiting a nomads. Unless you're there in the middle of summer, then none of them are there. But the rest of the year... Um, you visit a nomad's tent and stop for tea. And again, this is something where a lot of people still live like this. I mentioned our transportation manager, um, is Berber, and he, he's actually the first generation where he bought a house. He grew up with this nomadic lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's still very much a part of life there and things that a lot of Americans couldn't even imagine but it is what they do. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And in the afternoon to get to your camp, that is when you finally get to ride a camel. So the camels are, most of them are very friendly and want to be pets. Some of them are a little bit grumpy. And the first time I was riding a camel, so my camel's name was Jimmy. He did not like being down on the ground. (laughs) He would... Like we stopped to watch the sunset and I went to get back on and I wasn't quite back on when he was already like getting up. So I was like, there trying to hold on not fall off, get myself settled. And then he also didn't want to get down to let me off when we got to the camp. He just did not like kneeling down. So
1: a <laughs> oh, little, little cantankerous.
2: <laughs> yes. But some of them are very nice. One thing that often happens. So the camels will be, um, you know, tethered one to the other, and then there's someone leading them, Um, and a lot of times the camel behind you will, like, put his head up by you to, like, have you rub his ears or whatever. Um, They're very, most of them are very friendly, and then we have one person who (laughs) she was, she would do that, you know, she kept cooing to him and would pet him and talk to him, and so then when they got got to the camp and got down, he then licked her all the way up the side of her face.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: like, okay. <laughs> that was not expected. Right?
0: Well, he was fall- I-, I guess he was falling in love.
2: Yeah, that's what the person behind her said. She's like, that's what you get for flirting with him the whole trip. <laughs> that's
0: right. That's right. <laughs> do they ever do they ever get out of control or are they pretty much passive uh,
2: animals? Um, I mean... They are animals. And so it is possible Um, in the hundreds and hundreds of people we've sent on this, we had one that tried to break away, but you know, that was not, he was very quickly (laughs) brought to a halt and because that's why you always have someone at the front on the ground so it's not like someone has to get off their camel or whatever. You know, right. they're very easy to control any issues. Um but overall, you know, just like riding horses, they are 99% of the time going to be having a normal day. Right, <laughs> but right, still living right. things. they can have an off day. Um the good news is you are on the sands of the Sahara. And so if anything happens, if you, you know, slide off, it's a very soft landing. Okay. Um, because sometimes camel skiing, it feels like you're going to slide off.
1: <laughs> They're pretty sure-footed on that terrain, though. They're used to it.
2: They are. Yeah. It's whether or not you are well Sure
1: of them. The yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you, you mentioned something in your response to Dave's question about camps. Tell, describe the camps that you stay at during that night or two in the desert. And is this the place where you guys have your New Year's celebration?
2: It is. So we always like to spend New Year's Eve in the Sahara Desert because it is a magical experience. Um, I, I love being in the desert just anytime. time. Um, if you've ever been to like the Grand Canyon is what I always relate it to where you can see pictures and go, like, oh, that's pretty. But being there in person is just different.
1: It's two hours same from thing. my front door.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, used, I used to live in Flagstaff. So same thing. Yep. <laughs> um, and you know, just the vastness and it's all just sand and sky. And so the camps are Uh, We typically utilize the luxury camps, which means you have a private bathroom with shower. Um, All of the camps, if it is a luxury or a standard, they do have electricity because you're in the desert and they have solar panels. (laughs) Um, The uh, one thing I will say uh, is that there are no more camps that are totally isolated because for safety sanitary reasons the government has now mandated that all of the camps have to be in front of the dunes where they can tap into an underground well so that's just kind of a general safety thing as well as just physical I safety think- if it happens you need to be able to be able to get back in a relatively easy time um, so, they the camps aren't aren't like right next to each other but you're definitely not going to be seeing the village or anything but at night around the bonfire people start drumming you're probably going to hear another camp drumming um but you're not you're not super close and one of the things i will say is that it seems like all moroccans have an innate musical ability (laughs) (laughs) whether it is playing an instrument or just drumming or the castanets, you know, they all play something. So there's always after dinner, music around the bonfire. So if you are someone who likes to go to bed early, uh, first of all, that's never really going to happen in Morocco because they just keep later hours. (laughs) But (laughs) the other thing is don't expect a quiet night until they're all done. All
1: right. Okay, so now we've left the desert or we are heading out of the desert. And before we get yes. to Dave's favorite city, uh <laughs> Orizate, did I say it right? <laughs> or, 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 okay, before we get there, I'm going to have you <laughs> take us to, what's it, bo Bumalindades.
3: Okay. Yeah.
2: So if can. you... <laughs> If you are into hiking or rock climbing, then the Dadas and Todra gorges are a great place for that. Um, They are these beautiful red rock gorges, and the Dadas gorge actually has the village kind of like built into it as you're going down. And so like one of our favorite uh, riads is you have to climb like two or I think it's two flights of stairs, just from the parking to get in because of how high up the gorge wall (laughs) they built their Riyadh. And so it's a place where, you know, if you want a gentle kind of walk along the river and through the village, you can do that. If you want something more experienced um, and challenging, you can do that. One of the things we've had some people who are big hikers, and they want to know all the details about it. And I'm like, We don't have details because it's not like a set trail that you always take. The local guides, they know that place inside and out. And they're going to take you where they think is going to be best based on your experience, your ability. Um, Because they all, I've been on several hikes. No two of them have been the same Mm. (laughs) because they just go where is going to be, you know, The best at that time as well because maybe there was a rock slide over here and so we're going to go to this other one. But it is absolutely beautiful. Some people do actually multi-day hikes and so you can either sleep in a tent or sleep in um, a very rudimentary riad along the way.
1: Okay.
2: If you don't want to hike you can go straight to which city?
1: Let me see. <laughs> Warrazate. <laughs>
2: Warrazate.
1: And hey, hey, and you know what's and you know what's funny? My Siri just kicked on. <laughs> 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 that voice you heard in the background was Siri trying to figure out what I said. <laughs> so so Michael, you
0: can take us to my favorite city. What's that again?
1: Let uh, me see. Warrazate.
0: Okay, you're getting better.
1: I'm, get, I'm close. I, I was trying to write it out phonetically while you were talking. I lost my train of <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll just call it Moroccan Hollywood. Give us a little taste. There
2: we go. So it is where the Atlas Film Studios is. And uh, as David had mentioned, they, many movies have been filmed there. Probably my favorite that has been filmed there in part was Jewel of the Nile, because I grew up in that era and watching that movie as a child um and they have many many uh, films from other countries as well so it's not just like the hollywood ones but so it is an active film set you know a couple times we've been on there they've been repainting one of the sets for another upcoming movie or something like that and there's the um a couple different set pieces that just kind of get a different makeover for each one. Like there's a, a Buddhist temple interior sets. Um, the Egyptian one is probably the most popular because of course there are two different thrones. Everybody wants a picture on the throne. <laughs> um, and <laughs> within the city of Wurzizet, there's also the cinema museum, which again also gets used as a, um, an active filming site. One group was there while they were doing some filming. And of course they were very gracious and let the, the travelers like get pictures sitting on the throne with the actors and all uh, full costume as guards on either side and everything. So if you're into movies, it's a great place. Also i Ben been which is an ancient ksar up on the side of the mountain. It's just outside of Warzizet is also very often used for filming. And when you see it, you kind of realize that, Oh yeah, I've seen that before. It's the, it's like red brick buildings. Um, when I say brick, I don't mean like standard, you know, American right. brick. I mean like the, <laughs> like Adobe. Adobe brick. Brick,
3: yeah.
2: And again, it's up on a Hill. It is, there are still a couple dozen families that live there, but overall it's not populated any longer. And so you can take a hike in up into the city if you would like. Um, otherwise, if you're not into more hiking or you don't have the time because you spent you know, time at the other sites, you can just keep going on your way to Marrakech.
0: Marrakech, the most famous city for traveling I read in Morocco. Absolutely. Um, it gets extremely warm i was told in the summer uh, michael can relate to that i think i read where the temperature where the temperature exceeds 104 105 degrees however uh at that period of time is where you have most of the stuff that tourists want to see where there's a lot of action uh michael i think this would go well for you cuz what's what's your temperature now in nevada mm, is it over 100 degrees
1: uh no t- today it's the first day since July second that our temperature is going to be in double digits. Um, but by the end of the week, we'll be one ten. Ah, uh, remember, it was one thirty uh, in Death. Ba- it was one thirty in Death Valley about three weeks ago. So, I I tell you,
0: but uh, Megan, so much to see and so much to experience in Marrakesh. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about that.
2: Marrakesh is a lot of everything. Um, And that's one of the reasons we usually structure our trips, and you'll see a lot of other itineraries structured that same way to end in Marrakesh, because if you just land and you go there, you are going to be overwhelmed and possibly not get as much out of it, because you're just trying to get your bearings. Um, But there are, you know, if you want very simple, if you want very high-end experiences, you can find it all in Marrakesh. The most famous kind of central square is, of course, Fna, and it used to actually be a place of public executions. <laughs> now,
3: <laughs> this
2: is like way, way centuries ago, but um, now, you know, of course, it's filled with the orange juice stalls and the vendors and at night there's the barbecue places that set up and you know you'll find snake charmers and people with monkeys and people offering henna and anything and everything and always you know you really have to watch where you're going because unlike the Fez Medina um motorized vehicles are absolutely allowed in the Marrakesh Medina so I have Mm. nearly been run over by motorcycles more times than I would like to count (laughs) so keep your keep your wits about you (laughs) um And so Marrakesh has a lot of really rich history. It is, has been along with Fez, uh, capital of Morocco for majority of its history. And so it has things like the Bahia palace and the Sadian tombs and um, the Ben Yusuf Madrasa and things like that. It does also have a Mela and a Jewish cemetery and the um, has, well, many synagogues, but one uh, one that is originally in the Mela. Um, and for accommodations, there are very high-end hotels, very high-end Riyads, very um, simple ones. And sometimes people also like to end with Marrakesh because after going through the desert and the mountains, you feel a little bit dusty and you just want some basic creature comforts. <laughs> yeah,
1: just so, want to get clean.
2: <laughs> which perfect thing to do that is a hammam. So the hammam is this bathing uh, almost ritual where you know you're you get slathered with this black beldi soap and then you sit in a steam room for a while and then they use a mit to scrub off a couple layers of skin <laughs> and then You know, a lot of people pair that with a massage and you just feel wonderful afterwards. We do typically recommend the ones that are geared towards tourists because the truly local ones are not private. So you are in there naked with a bunch of strangers being expected to know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) so most travelers prefer the private experience where, you know, someone takes care of all of that for them. It can also be a very interesting thing if you've never been bathed by another person as an adult, it's it takes some getting used to, but it is well worth it.
1: <laughs> never happened uh, to me.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so that's a, uh, also in terms of the food, there's, you know, again, some people are ready for something other than a tagine by this point in the trip. And so Morocco, Marrakesh is a great place. They have plenty of international food. They have actually a couple of vegan restaurants. They have Italian, you can get sushi, you can get anything and everything in Morocco. They also, or Marrakesh, they have some of the top chefs as well. Um, The head chef at Royal Mansour has two Michelin stars. and he his kitchen is just amazing (laughs) Um, if you're looking for a really special dinner that's a great place to splurge a little bit um otherwise you know there's so many amazing restaurants a lot of nightlife as well you can find the hookah bars or the uh belly dancing or as rooftop uh dining and whatever you would like. There's art museums, there's history museums, there's uh, hot air balloon rides. Um, You can take a little trip into the uh, Atlas Mountains and do some hiking. You can take a day trip to Aswara and spend a day at the ocean. Um, Be sure to watch out for the goats that climb up the argon trees along the way. (laughs) They are it, as long as the weather is good, they will be out there. Um, so Marrakesh is a place also that if you've been to Morocco before and kind of have a feel of everything and you've been to the other places, some people go back and just go to Marrakesh. So if people are not, if this is not like their one and only time to go to Morocco and they have limited time, we actually recommend limiting your time in Marrakesh, spending more time in the places that you're not going to take the time to go back to, because you can absolutely do a weekend by yourself in Marrakesh.
1: That's funny. That was You actually anticipated my next question. Do people take <laughs> your tours and then go back for one destination? So now that you've clarified that, um, you mentioned the one last place on my list of, es- what's it called? Esloera Beach?
2: Aswara, yes.
1: Aswera Beach, and, and that is on the Atlantic Ocean side, down like in the south, what, western corner?
2: Yes. Okay. So it is a um, beautiful place. If you are into surfing, there's some great beaches. They do some surfing in Aswara, but a little bit outside of that, Tarzut is a well-known surf spot. Um, and Aswera, as I mentioned at some point earlier, it was originally one-third Jewish so they had a very large Jewish population, so that's a common place that people who are there for Jewish heritage tours will go visit, but it's an incredibly laid-back place. Uh, Again, it's a place that a lot of locals go to for vacations, because in the heat of the summer, everyone wants to be by the water, (laughs) and um, it's, if you want to spend some time wandering through medina this is the one to do it in because they are not going to be as pushy as marrakesh or even fez and you can browse without having someone being like hey how much tell me how much you'll pay for this (laughs) would you like it (laughs) so and of course fresh seafood they have If you're into photography, again, you know, one of the very classic pictures is all of the blue fishing boats. Um, A very popular scene in Game of Thrones was filmed there. I don't watch that, so I can't tell you more about it.
1: (laughs) My apologies, because I don't watch it either or did not. So we are going to apologize to you Game of Thrones fans (laughs) right now. Sorry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's... uh, a great place to just go and spend either just an afternoon wandering around or a couple days um enjoying relaxing on the beach and not having again that schedule of gotta see this gotta see that gotta see the other and unwinding at the end
3: okay
1: nice well uh we've kept you an extremely long time (laughs) And uh, I talk a lot
2: I, about Morocco. Oh, I'm sorry.
1: Oh, yeah, I, we can see it. It's written all over your face. If our viewers could actually see you like we see you. Um, I have one final question, uh, and that is, because of where Morocco is located, I'm assuming that it's pretty much open to year-round travel as opposed to some destinations where it's, you know, you go in the winter if it's summer here and, you know, vice versa.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, it will get, like, of course, extremely hot in the summer. Do not recommend going to the Sahara in the summer, but other places, absolutely. We do have to modify a little bit because you don't really want to be walking around Fez in 100 degree heat all day. But, you know, we just uh, do half day and then spend some time in Mechness because there's like a 10 degree difference, even though they're 45 minutes away from each other. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. Um, it will in late January, early February, it can get pretty rainy. Um, you do have to, if you're traveling over the mountains in the winter, just be aware you could run into some snow. We did have one group in, it was actually in October. They got everything pushed back a day because it was snowing in the Alice mountains and the road was closed. So they had to turn around, go back to Mechness for a night before they could get down to the Sahara. So very similar seasons. And so a quick note, and you would kind of asked about it before, for getting to Morocco, very easy for anybody on the East Coast. There's direct flights out of Boston, New York, DC, and Miami. If you are coming from somewhere else, you're going to have to route through one of those cities, um, Montreal, or one of the major European cities, direct flights from Amsterdam, Paris, London, um, and Madrid are the most popular. So depending on where you're at, it may or may not be feasible, Um, but if you are anywhere on the West or sorry, East coast or major West coast cities that do have daily flights, to those major direct flights, to those major...
0: Major helps. Um, yeah. yeah.
2: That's going to work for you.
0: Okay. Well, 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 Megan, we don't want to keep you much longer, but we just want to thank you for joining us today. You've been a superb guest. Um, mm-hmm. As Michael mentioned at the top, we just about every other podcast that we do we ask someone you know about their bucket list it was morocco so we really anticipated having you on board you shared a wealth of knowledge you shared a lot of experiences it's such a vast country so tell us how tell us how folks can get hold of you tell us about your website tell us about your company and uh any upcoming tours that that you may have
2: absolutely so Wanderlust Voyages, it literally started from my first trip to the Sahara when I was like, everybody needs to come see this. So my husband and I decided to just start the company. So all we do is Morocco and we really specialize in custom travel. So that means we are going to work with you to put together a private trip. Um, We do have some public ones that are available the most common is our new year's eve which we are fingers crossed hopefully going to be able to do this year and um, you know with the private trip you have a private driver private guides all of that you are well taken care of and our website is travel.com. And you can find out more about us there. And our Instagram, sorry, our email is info at wanderlust voyages travel.com. We are also on Instagram and Facebook at wanderlust voyages travel. And we, as you have heard, I love to talk about Morocco. I have seen almost all of the major cities. I have not gone to Agadir yet. The one I have not, my husband has though. He's our true Moroccan expert and we'd be happy to help you out.
0: Well, well, you know, this is not your last um, appearance on our program. Maybe at that point we we can have your husband on board as well.
2: Absolutely. He would love to talk to you about the golf courses of Morocco.
1: Oh, (laughs) we're going to have a little fun. And by the way, I just followed you on Instagram done perfect excellent
0: so michael anything you want to add to that
1: no i i I think you echoed my sentiments as well this has been one of the most enjoyable experiences on a podcast i've ever had uh you know i know we've crammed a lot into a 10-day tour um (laughs) and you know my dad's affinity for morocco from back in the 60s has always resonated with me but i i for the life of me as much as i've traveled i can't figure out how i've never gotten there that will change once COVID goes away, and uh, you, can, you can count on us becoming, myself and my girlfriend, becoming part of your family, and so we'll figure out a way to connect at some point and make that happen, um, but no, I, I would love to join you on one of these adventures. I think it's great.
2: Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I love to talk about Morocco and share how amazing it is with everybody.
1: Well, we really appreciate that. And uh, again, uh, Megan, uh, I can't thank you enough. Um, and uh, like I said, you're family now, so you will be back okay. whether you like it or not. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 you know, Dave, Dave lives in Long Island, so he can get to you faster than I can in case you kind of are go. out of country. So, uh, again, we we're speaking to Megan Lower from Wanderlust Travel Voyages. Uh, Did I get that right? Yeah, wonderlust Voyages Travel. My apologies. And uh, you've heard her website. We'll also have all this posted on our website. And uh, we'll do a big write-up on our website. And uh, we'll do a little bit of uh, advanced promotion as well. So you can get familiar with her and her company. Again, Megan, thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. Again, if you missed part one of our 10-day journey to Morocco or any of our previous podcasts, go to TripCast360.com or wherever you get your podcast. By the way, our website features detailed notes and images from each of our episodes.
0: Check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, which you'll find on our website as well.